Good morning, all. If you're here for the first time, there should be a, a sheet somewhere near you on the seats there. It might be on the seat next to you. And if you turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 4, and have that open. 2 Kings in chapter 4. 2 Kings 4. I'm going to conclude the series we've been doing for about six or seven weeks called How to Become a Shareholder in the Kingdom of God. We've looked at various things because it's an easy thing to say that we should invest in our eternity. Not so easy a thing to answer. Like I've I've said on several weeks, if I said to you, you should invest in the stock market. Well, that's no good unless I know what company to invest in. And it's exactly the same with the kingdom of God. It's easy to say, you know, we should be investors in eternity. Of course we should. But how am I going to do that? What are the practicalities of that? And that's what this brief series, but important series, has been about. We've seen how I invest in heaven through my gifts. We've all got gifts. Gifts for which we will be individually held accountable for. And it seems to me that one of the first questions that Jesus is going to put to me is, what did I do with my gift? It's not just me. It's you. You've got a gift. If you're born again, you've got a gift. And one of the first things he asks me, he's an investor. And all investors expect a return or they wouldn't have invested. Right? And and there's many parables told just like that about a, a landowner or a farmer that expects fruit from his seed. And the seed in this case is your salvation. The seed in this case is the gifts that God has placed within us. So the first way in which I invest in eternity is through my gifts. Secondly, there's through my callings. And we've all got a calling. I'll, I'll expand a little bit on that this morning because it's a crucial thing that's easy to miss. Through gifts, through callings, through functioning, and through finance. And over these weeks, we've looked at some of the things that knock people off track. First of all, if you've got a bad attitude, then really, you know, there's no reward for that. There's no reward for a person who ministers with with a sloppy attitude or a, a, a bad attitude. We looked at motivations and how they can just cripple you. If you start off on the wrong foot, that's not going to work. And today I want to look at something very different. And that is our reactions. Everybody's different. And when you find out that you've got a gift, because you have, then people respond in funny ways. I think it was Ichitai who said during the all-night, or sorry, it was Illuminate, during the all-night prayer meeting, that when some people realize, say, they're called to street work, to preaching on the street, they run out and they go for it. And in some ways you can say amen, and in some ways that's correct. But do you know something, folks? To share the gospel in an effective way with people can take time. Because it can be very offensive, a clanging symbol, if the heart of it is not love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And amen, we run out. But you know, it can take one year, two years, ten years. I don't know what you're like. I don't know. You know well, I do know my own heart to some degree. And for me, if I was to go back 20 years when I first started to, to minister, man, phew, what a change. Huge changes. And so by all means, we're excited about our giftings. By all means, we want to do that. But some people run out. And if they do that, I admire it. 
But there's also a lot of training involved, training and education. And we've, we've tried to do that in some degree, if you like, for an example, the evangelism team. But it's more than just education, isn't it? It's life changes. It's heart changes. There's a lot of... When I first realized that I was called to preach, one of the first things I did was I started to study because I realized that I had an empty head. Do you know what R.T. Kendall says? Listen carefully, folks. R.T. Kendall's one of the best theologians around. Do you know what he says? If you're empty-headed before the anointing comes on you, guess what you will be when the anointing is on you? Empty-headed. Empty-headed. And praise God, I, 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 I saw that, you know, and I avidly applied myself to study because how on earth can you preach if you don't know anything? That's why God gives teachers. But some people never quite get that. They just get the gift. And they don't realize the need for maturing for using the giftings. Maturing in every way. Yes, educationally. But also in my attitude, that that attitude grows and becomes palatable fruit, both to the saved and to the lost. So we're going to look at reactions today. The reactions that people have when they find out they've got something. You've got something. Maybe you can sing. Maybe you can dance. Whatever. You've got something. God's put something in you. And you get a lot of strange reactions. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1. Famous story of the widow's oil. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elijah, Your servant, my husband, is, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take me and my two boys and sell them as slaves. Elijah replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Look at the next few words. Your, your servant has nothing. And I'll, I'll just stop right there. Your servant has nothing. And I believe that that is the base cry, the, the self-perception of fallen nature. That so many people, if God was to give you something good... One of the automatic reactions we have is, who me? You know, it's just fallen nature. It's woe is me. Good things? Ah, good things happen to other people. Good things are for other people. Gifts? Ah, that's not me. That's everybody else. And this widow, I believe that statement was that I've got nothing, was part of her culture, part of a, the human race, really. And she needed to overcome that. The second thing she said, I've got nothing except something little. Nothing except a little oil. And Elijah's words, it's a bit like these last few weeks. Many people in the church, praise God, have found their gift for the first time. Many people have unearthed what God has placed in them. And I'm delighted about that. And it takes a, 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 an incident like this sometimes to let you know that you've got something. This woman, pay, I mean, please pay attention. The woman has gone through her whole life. Today, you might be 50, 60, 70, 80, and still not have found your gift. Here's a woman who spent her life saying, I've got nothing. But when the word of the prophet comes, what have you got? It came with a spotlight. It came with revelation to her. And she spoke what she'd always spoken. What have I got? I've got nothing. Oh, not quite true. I've got nothing except something little. A little oil. 
And that was the moment that she discovered, in fact, that that principle of something small is, is an Old Testament principle and a New Testament principle. God always seems to like to start with something small, especially where miracles are concerned. And woe betide us if we disrespect the day of small things. God sent Moses to part the Red Sea and put a small stick in his hand. I mean, you'd feel like a bit of an idiot, wouldn't you? And one thing after another, whether it's the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus did not despise the little boy's lunch, small. Small boy, small lunch. The feeding of the 4,000, five small loaves, five small fish. And over and over and over again, you see this principle come out, that miracles are obtained or come through those who appreciate something small. Good things begin this way. As I say, it's in the Old Testament and it's in the New. Now, by the way, if you want, and I know many of you do, if you want to pursue the charismata, spiritual giftings at higher levels, it starts with money. You know that? It starts with you being faithful, with your tithe, with your free will offerings, with your sacrificial offerings, and with your faith pledge. That's where you begin to operate in giftings, with money. And Jesus put it like this one day, how can I trust you with true spiritual riches if I can't trust you with mammon, money? If you are faithful with the small thing, if you are faithful financially, then I will entrust you with higher levels of operation. Comes to a bit of a shock to some people that, you know? But that's where it starts, when we prove faithful in smaller things. Now, let me give you a warning, folks, and it's a real warning we should all pay attention to. God may have given you something little that you feel this is small. Better be careful that you use that. He's given you a gift, a calling, whatever of some sort, a function in the church. Be careful that you use it. Because if you don't use it, he'll take it off you. If you don't use it, huh, the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. Yeah, I know. It's not the only parable in your Bible. And I always like to balance those things up. I'm well aware the gifts and the callings are without repentance. But Jesus also said this, take from he who has little and give it to he who has a lot so that he who has little will even have less. What? And it's all about the respect for that little gift, you see. And God places things in us. Gifts of all sorts to test you, to try you, and to see how you handle that. It's kind of a surprising and a scary scripture. And thus the rich get richer in the kingdom and the poor get poorer, as I've said. That's exactly what I've seen all my life. Busy people get more work to do. That's the kingdom. The more you do, the more you'll get to do. That's the kingdom. That was the kingdom in Jesus' day, and that's the same kingdom that you and I are in today. It hasn't changed a bit. Tell you a secret. Jeanette and I, very quietly at home, not in public, but privately at home, one of the ways we pray is this. I say, God, I know that you take little gifts. That can be financial, by the way, as it was in one of the parables. It can be a, a, an attribute, a charismata, one of the gifts of the Spirit. It could be anything. It could be people. Lord, I know you take from those who don't use it. Would you give it to us? I'll use it. God, if there's pastors out there that are not being used, send them to us, Lord. 
If there's good people out there and they're not getting, Lord, send them to us. We'll use them. And I think that helps. I think, it's, I think that's a good prayer. Because he takes from and he gives it to those that are busy. Gives it to churches that are growing. Amen. So be it. But we pray that because I believe that. I believe that's actually something that happens. So the first reaction, the most common reaction. Who, me? <laughs> Do you, are you saying I'm gifted? You must be joking. Not me. Good things don't happen, me. No, get that attitude, that stinking thinking out of your mind. Right? God has gifted you and you need to find that. Yes, you. The second attitude is the parable of the talents. What did the man with one small talent do? He buried it. He buried it. And that's the second predominant attitude, the hide it quickly attitude. People who, want to, who don't want to know about what they've got or don't want other people to know about what they've got. Listen, the most scary thing for some of you is to be good at something especially in churches. You don't mind being good at stuff in the world. Don't mind being good at my job. But I don't want to be good at something in the church. Because what about pride? What if I get proud? What if I take glory from God? What will people think of me? And all these things, you know, twist and turn people, and they end up not pursuing. They hide it. I know I've got a gift, but I'm frightened of what people will say, so I'm not going to tell anyone. The worship was brilliant this morning, Kay. Praise the Lord. Fantastic. Wonderful. So Kay gets a round of applause. Praise the Lord. No! That was great, Kay. No, don't say that. Don't say that. I can't bear to hear it. Because what if I take glory from God? And this is Sunday school in terms of using your gift. Because everybody has to learn to cope with doing something well. That's why it's a gift. Everybody has to learn to grow up. You can't hide it forever. God's made you good at something for His glory. And if you hide it because you're ashamed or embarrassed or frightened of what people say, you will never invest in eternity. You've got to grow up on those things. What about when Pastor Illuminate is preaching here saying, he gives a great message. Praise the Lord! Thank you, Illuminate. That was really good. I really. Ble-. How does he cope? What do you say? What do you do? This is where reality hits, folks. And do you know what I do? In fact, I was once at an event, and there was, there, there was like a rapture at the end. People were jumping, banging, and God said, yeah, oh, fantastic. I sat down. And at the end of the meeting, a guy came up from the crowd. He came up, walked up, and he said, some response. I said, yep. He said, can I tell you something? I noticed something. They ripped, roared, shouted, it didn't affect you at all, did it? I said, no. <laughs> That's good. I said, you know why it doesn't affect me if they clap or if they don't clap? Because I'm not looking for it. I don't need a thank you from you. I don't need a thank you. You don't need to say thank you to me. Thank you for being here, folks. It's the other way around. I thank you. I mean that. Thank you for being here. You don't owe me anything. You never have to slap me on the back, and you never have to say thank you. I am grateful to share the word with you. I don't deserve any gift. i tell you something else. They can clap all they want. They don't know me. I don't deserve a clap. I don't deserve... Does anyone? No, not one, Isaiah says. 
So they can clap. I'm not responsible for that. So therefore, it doesn't affect me. And Kay, you can lead as good and as great as God leads you to. But it should never affect us. If it starts to affect you, then yes, you should probably get out of ministry. If you need a thank you, then you're in the wrong job. Believe me, because that's a bad motivation and a bad attitude. You've forgotten that you were going to hell and that you were snatched from the fire, a gift was plunked, and now you've been released into service. What do you call that? The highest of honors, the highest of privileges. And so no, it doesn't affect me and it mustn't affect you. And we don't actually have a problem with that. But many people do. And many people are so frightened of doing something well. They're frightened of not being able to cope with success. Frightened of, of, you know, what people will think of them. And you have got to get over that. Sometimes this makes me very angry. I shared it before. I'll share it again. My best friend dying of cancer. And I knew this woman had a gift of healing. But she was too proud to release her gift of healing because she was frightened. What people, man, I was mad at her. I really was. I thought, get up and use your gift. Frightened of what people will say. Frightened of this. Get over yourself, will you? You're always going to be judged by people. Let's serve the Lord. Let's get on with the work of the kingdom and let all that stuff go. Sunday school. Sunday school, this stuff is. But it's one of the reasons, folks. I haven't got nothing. I'll never have anything. My father never had nothing. That's the first reaction. And so you don't believe, you won't receive. You don't believe, you'll never see that, or God won't, even if he showed it to you on a billboard, you wouldn't see it, right? Second reaction, hide it. Don't let anybody know. Now, we as a church need to move on. Folks, this church has been in the church planting phase for about 10 years. Now, that's like Sunday school too, and that's fine. And that's the, the, the stage of a church's life when it's mommy and daddy look after everything and you're spoon-fed, and that's fine. That happens all over the world. But this church is no longer in church planting mode. And you will be treated like an adult, whether you like it or not. And you will not be spoon-fed anymore because it's time to grow up. It's time to recognize the gifts, the callings, the responsibilities that God has put on your shoulders and to enter into them boldly. Amen. Times have changed. Time, that, in fact, historically, time, in my opinion, as you well know, is winding up. And this is a time to put your shoulder to the wheel. Get on with our work. So, I've got nothing. Put that attitude out of your mind. Because it's fallen nature that won't receive good things. Remember I told you, I was moving to Ireland, and man, I was stressed out. I, I, I got a phone call to say that a house was available for rent in this particular street. I turned into the street. I arrived there and it was a bow-shaped street with about like 25, 30 houses. I could see them all. And over in the corner was a beautiful house, quite separate from the rest, mature gardens around it. The first thought in my mind when I turned that corner and saw that street, it won't be that one because it's too good. The first thought. And thank God I silenced my fallen nature. Shut up! David took a hold of himself. I reject that. I reject that. It could be that one. I don't know, but I reject the fact that something good won't happen to me. That's not my spirit talking. That's my flesh. Well, I walked up that street. I had the number. Guess which house it was. It was that house. And I thank God for that. But my fallen nature was crying out to me, you're nothing. 
You've always been nothing. And you'll always be nothing. Don't you get it? And that's that widow. That's that widow talking. And this blocks people from advancing in the kingdom. Blocks people, our topic, from investing, therefore, in eternity. I've got nothing attitude or the hide-it-quickly attitude because we're afraid of the reactions of others. Or number three, there's the I'm frightened type. We're all frightened, folks. We're all frightened. Don't ever be fooled. I think it was Elia came up here. Elia is one of the most confident individuals you have probably ever met. Elia came up here when we moved into the new building, and I thought it was very humble and good of him to say, so he said, I'm shaking. Hallelujah. No problem. You can shake it. It's not a problem. We're all afraid. It's not easy for people. It's not easy for Kay to come up here and do this work. Not easy for Agnes. Not easy for Eileen. We have to step over boldness, right? Remember the four laws of entering into your gift? Number one, love. Sorry. <laughs> love. The one Corinthians. In all gifts, the number one rule the Bible gives is love. You, if you're not operating in love, shut up. If you're not operating in love, you know, for God and people, shut up. Put it down. Leave it a minute. Clanging symbol. And the second one was boldness that you, we never enter into anything. And I won't share it again, bore you with the testimonies, but I thank God for the day that I stepped out and I was terrified. But I found myself on the day that I responded to my call. I found myself on, on the day that I responded to, to acknowledge the fact that God had put a gift in me and I'm going to use it and I'll do whatever I need to to get there. You find yourself, you become the person that God has made you to be. And so many complain, and my Christian life is so dull. But when you realize what your gift is, you hide it, won't do it, or can't receive it because of lack of faith. Many types in the kingdom, many reasons why people don't invest. I'm nothing, the hide it quickly type, the frightened type. And in the parachurch, a parachurch, when a church, when an organization is outside of the church, we call it parachurch. And there are many people, when they realize they have a gift, hey, you don't work alone, you know. He didn't send them out one by one. He sent them out two by two. And part of that maturing process is that the gift that God has given you, you bring it into a group called the fivefold ministry. And whether you're a prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist, or apostle, you're accountable at a group level. But some people just can't hack it. And the gift that they were given to submit on the table of the leadership, they take it back and say, I'll go and form my own group. Parachurch organizations all over the world. And I get asked nearly on a weekly basis, can I put this poster up? Can I put this poster up? Can the only question, I, and some of you can testify, the only question you'll ever hear from me when you ask to put a poster up, what church is it out of? Because if it's parachurch, if it's an organization that's pulled itself away from the body, I don't want that on our wall. Now, there's parachurch organizations in churches. That's fine. Plenty of them and plenty of good ones. That's where Teen Challenge started, incidentally. Uh, you know, inside a church in Times Square. Just, you just got to be careful of this, you see, because it's not an appropriate way. It's not a correct way. It's a very wrong way to use your gifting. Your gifting is given to you to serve the church when it's asked for. Obviously, don't make a pain in the neck out of it, but that, 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 that's what it's there for. And then the fifth type is the pop idol or the X-factor type. 
Now, I've only, I've never even seen one episode of that. I recorded X Factor this week and I hope to get to see it, but I never did. But I've seen plenty of snippets out. It's hilarious, isn't it? Goodness me. You see them walk in. Ah! It's not much different in churches, you know? Do you know what those people are, most of them? What, I mean, give me some names for it. Deluded? Nuts? Crazy? Deluded! Have you any idea the number of people who think they can sing? Yeah, amen. Or dance? <laughs> and they can't? This is a type, friends. And that's why you need the church. That's why you need the church. Because the church can tell you, they can affirm you. They can affirm, yes, you're right. Yes, I see that gift in you. You never go it alone. Never, you know, step into ministries. Always seek the counsel and the cover of the church and always find agreement with others who will endorse and affirm that the gifting that you are saying you have, we agree. In that you'll find cover. In that you'll find security. But there's plenty of pop idol types who will come and say, oh, I think I'm called to this or I think I'm called to that. And it's just, it's either it's an ego trip or whatever, but you've got to try and get people off that. For three or four years, you know, I taught street preachers in, in England. The pastors mostly used to come to train to preach on the streets. You know, a couple of buses or something would come down. Once a year, we would meet together. And I would sit and several guys would put them through elements of training. Do you know, most of those pastors, early on in the week, say seven days, like the second or third day, I would say, could I have a chat? And I would say to them, do you know what? I don't think you should preach on the street. I just don't think it's your job. I think, what? <laughs> so minister you, I'm here for my training. And they carry on. It takes a couple of days for it to sink in. And 99 times out of 100, they'd come back and say, could I talk to you? You know what? I think you're right. And I think I'm here because I was trying to prove something. I was trying to prove that I could do something, be something, and I see that now. Somebody put a challenge to me, and I picked it up. But you know, it, that's right. It's not your gift. It's not your calling. And whilst I admire your endeavor, I'm just trying to get you on the right road, on the right track. You need affirmation. When I was, and I, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I do. I like to hear what, you know, people, especially my leaders, have got to say about what I'm doing and what I should do. And Gordon's a character here, isn't he? He's a real character. We're going to put you on X Factor, Gordon. Amen. I'm down in the street. I'll just be honest with you. I went down on the street the first time that Gordon was due to preach. And I went down. I'll be honest. I thought to myself, probably not a street preacher. Probably not someone who should be down here doing this. Never mind. We'll have a word with him later. Gordon stood up on that ladder, and all I can say is the love of God and the anointing of God filled that place. Well, I was, I praise the Lord. And as soon as he got down, I said, You are gifted and called. Beautiful, wonderful, great. And that, that's what I, I seek. I don't know about you. Don't go on your own behest. Don't go around saying, I'm this, I'm that. That's not what giftings are about. Rather, submit it to the leadership. You don't need to prove yourself in anything. Amen. Amen. Submit it to the leadership and let there be agreement in everything you put your hand to. 
I want to get personal a minute because we've got many professionals, 75, 80% of this church are degree plus. By that, I mean PhD or whatever and beyond. And I want to say particularly to you guys, do not underestimate the importance of giftings and callings. I know, I've had it for years. You know, he doesn't understand, I've got to get a job. You know? Why doesn't somebody tell him, we've got to earn money, we've got to work? I completely understand. Been there, done that. I was in social services for 10 years and got promoted pretty rapidly and was doing very well, thank you, and very happy at that. But in my case, I was called out and responded instantly. I know what a career path is. I understand that. But some of you professionals do not understand how to operate in your gifts or calling. So I've been both sides of the fence. And I can't emphasize enough how serious it is for you to keep your career in proper perspective and to have your calling balanced with Let me give you a few examples. The biggest church in Liverpool is called Frontline. It's led by a chap called Nick Harding. Nick Harding's a medical doctor, actually, and he led the Christian Fellowship in a hospital in London. And there were six members, three couples, all doctors, medical doctors, there were six members in the Christian fellowship that used to meet for prayer in the middle of the day. And they're busy getting on with their lives. And God speaks to Nick Harding and says, take this group of people and move to Liverpool because I want you to start a church. What? <laughs> so he tenderly puts it to these three couples. We're all professionals. We've all served at least seven years plus to get to where we are. But I've got a word for you. God has spoken to us to move from here, to move to Liverpool and to start a church. We'll have to give up our work. Not permanently, but for a time. They did. And today that church is the biggest church in Liverpool. 700 odd members. It's an awesome place. I've been there. I couldn't get in. It was packed. Couldn't get in the building. That's a big building and all. Fantastic. So that took several years. Some of them went back to work temporarily. One of those couples thought they'd do it again. <laughs> so they opened up a church. Actually, they were friends of ours, Larry and Ann Stone. They became GPs in a local community where we lived. And that's how we got to know them. They opened up a doctor's surgery and they opened up a church. Now they've had the experience. They haven't had to abandon their career. Rather, God has added to them. Added to them. They didn't have to lose anything. You won't lose anything with God. Never, ever, ever. Provided we're open enough to see it. But some people couldn't even see that. There was nowhere to hang it. You couldn't get that information into them. But I want to warn you today. You see, our church, VFC Singapore, is our mother church. And they have a principle within them, an ethic. And it's this. That every person should aim, professional or not, every person should aim to give at least one year of their life full-time in ministry. Every person should try and do that. Now, for us here, you guys are great. We don't have too many problems in this area, that's for sure. The backbone of this church is professionals, and you guys are wonderful. I'm just talking generally. Be careful that you're not so focused on your, on your career that you miss or you're not able to hear the call of God. Are you listening? Because that could cost you your marriage. That could cost you all prosperity because these are the things that come with calling not career it goes like this 
Here's Adam in the Garden of Eden. And God gives him his calling. Remember, it wasn't to go and worship for the rest of his life. Remember? It was to go and work. He had work to do, to take dominion over the earth. And God sends Adam out. Adam did not say he was lonely. We've been through this, right? He wasn't lonely. He was alone. They're two different words. So Adam's there. Pay close attention. He's got his calling. He's got his gifting. And he's just about to go. And God says, oh, oh, stop a minute. I don't want him to be alone. And for the purpose of the task, bing, here's Eve. So Eve was given to Adam because of his call. When I got saved, I was, had no finances whatsoever. I actually had a drink problem, and I was single. Praise the Lord, pretty quickly I got my calling, my gifting, and I had that in order. Very quickly, I found myself with a wife, prospered, and conquered completely my drink problem. Now, I don't think, because many people get saved, folks, and struggle with drink all their lives. Amen. Many people get saved, but they're lonely and miserable, and they're scratching their heads. Why, Lord? Have you ever listened when you were told about calling? Did you ever consider that you may be on the wrong road where God has, there's no onus on God to provide for that? They call it God's economy. But God looked at me, just like Adam, and saw that I was not able to complete the task and calling that was upon me, like so many before me. Jesus couldn't carry his own cross, right? Like so many, like man, the Ezer Konegdo, Eve was given because Adam had a call. And Jeanette was given to me, I believe, with all my heart, because of my ministry. And so, it's more important than you think. I know you've got to earn money. I'm not talking about that, and neither is God. I'm talking about a much bigger picture than that much wider. And you will see this throughout Scripture, but most people don't want to know. In fact, I would go as far as to say that the more academically minded you are, the brighter you are, the more of a problem you may have with this. Mark 12, 37 says this. When Jesus was walking on the earth, the common people, the uneducated people, heard him gladly, followed him easily. They got it. But it was the educated types that were missing it. Focused you see, got the career, know where I'm going, and missed the calling, missed the operation of their giftings, and you still see the very same thing today. As I say, we don't have too much of a problem with this, but it is a problem in the world. So be careful. There's more to it than you might think. They're the bad reactions that people take when they realize they've got a gift or a call. There's good reactions too, and, and, and praise the Lord for that. How should you react to your gift or your calling? Well, I would say to you, be very careful about saying no. I don't like saying no to my superiors. I'll say no to you. <laughs> no problem, because I've got to do what I've got to do in life and ministry. But I have a great problem with saying no to those who are overseeing me in the Lord. Are you listening? Because if I'm saying, I think, I, I talked this over with Jeanette, and she's been great. Phone call comes through and I say, Jeanette, we're going to say yes. Because your gift is not your own. I am bought at a price. And if the oversight need this, then that's what I do. And you must come and you must do that too. We will obey. It's God's structure. Man, you know, anybody who disobeys authority structures, they disobey God. 
So we're going to obey the leadership. And I see a great, great... I have not met many people who said no when offered a call. I know a few. In fact, one guy, I really wanted him in ministry. I wanted him to go full-time. Actually, Pastor Rick came in to the city we were in, and I brought him to meet this guy. I said, you to take this guy on. Put him in full-time. We sat in a room, and Rick was very gracious. He said, okay, I offer you a, on his suggestion. I offer you a full-time job. You come. The guy said, oh, do you know what? Um, not this year, because I've got to do that. But once I get that done, you know what? Man, I'm going to be with you. And I was disappointed. I was sitting there thinking, you don't say no. You don't say no. And he did, and off he went. And I turned to Rick and said, sorry, man. Let's try again next year. And I never forgot what he said to me. He sort of fatherly put his hand on me and said, Mike, I know you really want this guy. There won't be a next year. I've seen them everywhere seen them all over the world. And when the call comes out and they refuse, I've yet to see someone who makes it the following year. And I said, no, you don't know this guy. And a year goes by or a year and a half go by and I go back to him and I say, you ready? Ah, yeah, almost, but. And that went on for like two, three years. He never went. There was another guy, very similar story, who said no. You see, in Mark's gospel, at the calling of the apostles. When Jesus walked around and said, Peter, come, what is the word that Mark uses to describe the response? 16 times. The word is, ah, oh, Jesus, help us. Immediately, immediately, Peter's got his career and he's throwing his nets. And one word from Jesus, Peter, go. No hesitation. But if you falter, if you feel you don't respect the voice, you don't know who it is that's calling you. It's your Savior. And there is nothing and no one that's more important than that. Amen. Amen. Nothing. And so when Nick Harding, after working to be a doctor all those years, there is a superior voice than there is to your registrar. There's someone greater and his name is Jesus. And if he speaks, you obey. Or you are foolish. Blinkered by your career, blinkered by what God or what you think you should do. There's more to it than that. And I repeat, God's not trying to take anything off anybody. And we need people in every sector of society, in politics, in medicine, in research. We need people in all those. Amen. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm just getting at the point that many of you most definitely are called. Pastor Illumide came here not long ago. And as I watched him work, man, he was working at everything with a good attitude. Happy to do this, happy to do that. And he stood out to me, loud and clear. And I said, can I meet you? And I said to him, I need your help. Would you come and join the pastoral team? Advise us on any issues concerning, particularly the black community that we miss, that we don't see. Would you educate us, help us? And, and, and pastor... He's got his career. He's, he's paid a fortune to get where he is. And he said, yes, I will. I've got my career. I wasn't buried. I wasn't bothered about your career. I know that's okay. And together, we sat and talked and agreed. You keep your career. You pursue. That's fine. All I'm saying is, can God add? Hello? Can God add? Yes, he can. 
So whatever you hear, or whatever you're asked to do, don't be quick to say no, but understand what it is you might be turning down. And know that God, you know what? Let me give you an extreme example of this. There's a church in Hawaii, and one of our pastors went in and gave a call out to missions to plant a church in Ireland. And there's a guy there who's making a fortune. He's making $10,000 a month, right? He builds hospitals, schools, all that sort of thing. He sort of manages the whole site. He's on a fortune. And he's a hard guy. Looks like Death Wish or whatever you call it. Charles Bronson, you know? Spitting image of him. He landed at the airport. I remember thinking, he doesn't like me. No, he looks like that to everybody. Hey, wow. Tough, tough, tough guy. He's sitting in the church. He's a businessman. He's got his own career. And God speaks to him, go to Dublin and plant a church. So he walks down and he responds. Leaving 10 grand a month behind and he puts his notice in. He says, I'm going to plant a church. I'll be back. Be back in a year. I'm going for a year. And they were shocked. A couple of months go by and his bosses call him in and they say, do you know what we're going to do? We've heard what you're doing and what we're going to do is we're going to pay you half your salary for the next year. Five grand. He was the best paid missionary in the world. Five grand a month. We're going to pay you for the whole year. So he says, praise God. Thank you very much. Hallelujah couple of months before he's due to leave, they call him in again. And you know what they say? We've changed our mind. We're going to pay you full salary for the entire time that you're on the mission field. You see, you never know. If you don't respond, you never know. God provides relationships for those who answer their call. All I'm saying is, if you're on the wrong road, there's no promise. It's in Mark chapter 6, where Je they said to Jesus, Lord, what do we get for following you? We've left everything. And Jesus responded so quick, you will be prospered. Prospering? How are you with your calling then? You will be prospered in this present life. Homes, families, relationships. He said mothers, brothers, sisters, and you can add husbands and wives. What will be given to those who follow the Lord in their calling? And he left hardly anything out. You see? And that man didn't know what was going to happen until he was gone. Until he had responded to the call. So there's good reactions and there's bad reactions. Don't be an Abraham is the second reaction I've put down there. You know, Abraham, Abraham thought the world owed him something. Had a bit of a chip on his shoulder. Once again was looking for a thank you. And you don't want to do that. You need to respond quickly. He wasn't willing to, to pay the price for what was ahead. Remember the story? Took his family with him, took Lot with him, nearly wrecked his life and wasted a whole load of time. Don't be an Abraham. And when God speaks, says, this is what I want you to do. Be willing to pay whatever price that is. How do you invest in the kingdom? In all these ways. Through your gifts. By giving your gifts to the church, finding them and giving them. Through finding out what your calling is, and for many of you, you're right in it, right here. Through functioning, and we've covered that, by doing whatever comes to hand. And lastly, keep a good attitude to finances, right to the end. Finances is a very, it's a, it's a, it's a tough one. Hot potato in churches, you know. But for some people, maybe you this morning, you're sitting here, and because we've done this series, maybe you're investing in eternity. Maybe you've given like you've never given before. Praise the Lord. But sometimes it doesn't quite work out how people think in terms of their giving. And they react. 
One woman walked into church one day with her husband. She had her handbag. She walked into the church and she threw a handbag. It's a big building. She threw a handbag up against the wall. Hey, smash. You know, mascara and everything all over the floor. Tithing doesn't work. The whole thing's nonsense. I've been giving and God has not prospered me. The whole thing's a lie. Reaction. Reaction. Not action. God's not looking for that from you. Your attitude's dreadful. Don't talk to God like that. What were you expecting anyway? Why were you giving anyway? Were you giving out of service for the church? Were you giving to extend the kingdom? Or were you giving to get? What was it? Why were you doing your service like that in that area? Something severely wrong. This is the reaction we get. Something fundamentally wrong. God loves a cheerful giver. (laughs) You're an angry giver. Right? So you need to sanctify that. It didn't, it wasn't what you thought. Is that what it is? Reaction, you see. So be careful. Let's become investors, by all means. Let's make whatever sacrifices we need to make to do it properly. Acceptable sacrifices, the Bible calls them. Just invite the worship team back. Let's stand and just pray those truths in. God, we pray for ourselves this morning that wherever we find ourselves in life, in our work, in our career, we thank you for it. We say amen. And I pray you will make things very clear to all of us wherever we are. Make us a blessing in the workplace. But at all times, Father, we pray that we would be able to receive, be able to hear your voice and have enough obedience and love within us to respond to that voice, no matter what it's asking us to do, no matter how strange it might be. I pray for us all. Just close your eyes. Extend your hands towards God. From the Holy Spirit, I ask you to descend upon us and show us who we are. From the inside out, show us what you've made us to be and to do in life. I pray every person would find their gifts, every person would find their calling, that we would function like soldiers in an army, and that our finances would belong to you. Thank you for listening to today's program. I trust you have been blessed and edified by what you've heard. I want to ask you to do something, and that is to become a partner with us here at Preparing the Way. By doing so, you can help us to take these essential messages out to many other nations, many other people around the world. You can become a partner by visiting our website, preparingtheway.tv, and there you will find many ways that you can join us. Folks, it is a pleasure and an honor to partner with you in bringing in the end times harvest. God bless you, and once again, thank you for listening.